0: from the front lines of the Green Rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. I am John Small, the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, greenentrepreneur.com. And my guest today is Olivia Alexander, who is cannabis royalty. She is the founder and CEO of The Crystal Cult and its sister cannabis brand, Kush Queen, which is a multi-million dollar brand carrying both CBD only and THC infused products, including her infamous bath bombs, pain relief lotions, edibles and more. Olivia is an outspoken cannabis advocate and a self-made millionaire entrepreneur who has a lot of strong opinions about the business and how entrepreneurs can find success in it.
1: Unfortunately, money isn't enough when it comes to cannabis. It's not, and even experience, you know? I used to get so down on myself. Oh my God, another person from Harvard is in the cannabis industry. Oh my God, I don't speak corporate speak. Oh my God, I've never held a corporate job in my life. How am I gonna compete with all these people coming into the industry? And then I watch them all fail. Because just because you have great experience in CPG, in fashion, in entertainment, it doesn't mean it's going to work for cannabis. And I think that's a really interesting
0: thing. Olivia is also the president of Elevate LA, which is a nonprofit dedicated to the growth of cannabis education, normalization, and the cannabis industry as a whole. So we are going to find out all about how Olivia built this huge business. But first, I just want to welcome Olivia Alexander to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited <laughs> to be here.
0: Excited to be with you. And so you have such an interesting origin story. So I'd love to you, to have you share it with our audience. And so many people who listen are people who are aspiring to get into the cannabis industry or who are in the cannabis industry already, but looking for a sort of a leg up. But tell us a little bit about your background. You came to LA when you are this is my understanding. You came to LA when you were younger from Louisiana and as a, a child actress, right?
1: Correct. I was kind of one of those kids who just like came out of the womb and I was just like a nut. And my mom had wanted, I mean, I think my mom wanted to get out of Louisiana and in the town we're from, you know, 700 people. What you do is you put your kid in beauty pageants and you try to make him an actor to get the hell out. And that's exactly what we did. So by the time I was 13, we were out here just living here. We moved here and it was the best thing that ever happened to my family. It plucked me right in the middle of like the complete polar opposite experience of where I came from. And then by the time I was 18, I lived in the center of what would eventually become a major hub of cannabis. And I started, I tried weed my first week in college, of course. I immediately Fell in love with it immediately.
0: Immediately. Even the first time you were like, this is my thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I have had, I've been struggling with mental illness my whole life. It's genetically very much present in my family. Also, the town that I'm from is in the heart of what we call Cancer Alley. So if you don't get cancer and die, most likely you're going to get mental illness because it's crushing environmental pollution. So the first time that I smoked, I slept for the first time since I was probably like in third grade. And I could not believe that this had been sold to me as something to be afraid of. I cried when someone smoked weed around me when I was 14. I knew someone in my town whose brother was murdered buying weed when I was in third grade. So I had the true dare, stigmatized, and I was a good girl. And so here comes this whole new element to my life. And a couple friends of a friend said they were opening up a dispensary, which is still there called the Green Easy. And I became a bud tender a few months after that. And it just blew me away. I knew it would be something so much bigger than what people even could think it could be, just because every single day I was behind the counter and I would talk to people and the reasons, the broad spectrum of reasons people were using cannabis, and how not really m- many of them were this stoner that I had been sold in the media. And I really just knew from that moment. I was going to be in cannabis forever. I mean, I didn't know the how and the why and the dispensary got robbed. And, you know, it was 2006, 2007. So it was a totally different time. But I knew this was my thing and these were my people. I figured because I was an actor and in the entertainment industry, I'd make content about cannabis, which I mean, I did eventually too. Basically in 2013, at that point, I just started selling weed to soccer moms and friends and Still acting, but found a great side hustle, found a great way that I didn't have to be. I had so many side jobs, Hooters waitress, magician's assistant.
0: I love that you were a magician's assistant at the Magic Castle.
1: Oh, yeah. At the Magic Castle, I would do children's birthday parties. They'd put me in a box and they'd shove swords in there and there'd be kids yelling, you can see her in there, you know? But I just, I had the true like LA experience of just doing what it it took. And I was always a hustler and I was constantly working as an actress, but not in any way that it was like paying my bills. And then I did a movie and in 2012, they did not have the remaining budget to pay us. And it really got me thinking more about my lifestyle. Like, just what I was doing. And did I really want to be in entertainment? And that's when like the same week I went to a little premiere for a short film I was in, I got on the glamour.com beauty blog with my nail art. And it was like celebrity Olivia Alexander next to Kelly Osborne. And I'm like, what? And then like three days later, I had bought an e-cigarette from a vape shop in Silver Lake called Good Vapor. I crystallized it with Swarovski crystals. And the owner of the shop wanted to buy 10 from me. And I went to my dad and I said, this is it. This is what I I have literally been trying to manifest for the past seven months something that I can do I could still go on auditions I could be creative I had sold on Etsy and had enough like idea about the internet that I could promote the products on Instagram because as I was posting my own vape like I would have 20 messages of people seriously PayPaling me to buy them. So I had my dad loan me $700. I built what would be thecrystalcold.com, and I made $6,000 the first month.
0: And these are the vape pens with the crystals on them?
1: The vape pens with the crystals, which kind of kicked it all off. I mean, someone said, oh, you know, you could put an attachment on there, and you can smoke dry flour out of it. And that's when Kush Queen was born. I called it Kush Queen. And then because I was selling legitimate ancillary products
0: and apparel that said Kush Queen How'd you come up with the name Kush Queen?
1: I don't know. I just like, because I, I self-identify as a queen. It was just like automatically how I felt. It really was the perfect two words to describe my experience and how I wanted people to meet me in this life. Like my Tinder profile, when I met my fiance said Kush Queen at the crystal cold, that was it. And I kind of felt like That was just the way I wanted people to know me and meet me. And then it really stuck. And I was able to get trademarks. And really, that's when I started to try to sell CBD products, but you couldn't even get processing. And then I met my fiance six years ago, literally almost to this day. He was growing and cultivating and I had what would be the start of Kush Queen, the start of Crystal Colt. And I had started all these Instagram pages about weed, a YouTube channel about weed naturally to use my skill of being on camera, to use my 20 something years of experience in the industry to create really good cannabis content. I felt like a lot of the content creators at the time were just like it was basically Adam ill, dopaziola Yola. There was like a couple girls out there, but they were more like sexy. And it just wasn't my style. And so I started making content and that just really... What kind of
0: content was it? What was the good? Video
1: content. My channel's still up there. I just don't make content a lot because I started getting a lot of strikes. But it was educational cannabis content, product reviews, the whole like. It's still there. It has almost 100,000 subscribers now. It's kind of interesting. We've been thinking about revving it up. And then the Instagram just blew up. I had 3 million followers. And then my fiance just started coming home with clients. Oh, this vape company wants you to make content for them. They want you to tag them on IG to build their page. And we had a really good business until we didn't when Instagram me off the face of the earth. And it was single handedly the worst experience of my life. So traumatizing waking up. It was a battle for years. But when they were gone, they were really gone. Some people at Instagram got caught up reviving our pages and reviving the pages of a lot of content creators who were making content that was deemed violation of the terms of service. And it was that moment that I had really rebranded Kush Queen six months before I had been selling at like Chalice and Cannabis Cup, And one of my clients was basically diversifying from being just a brand to being a distributor. And they were like, let's put the bath bombs on the truck the dispensaries are going to love them. They're a really good product. And so it was like kind of a do or die moment for me with Kush Queen. So you had to
0: pivot. So Instagram, just to so our audience understands this in case they've missed this. So Instagram, you had this incredibly flourishing business on Instagram, right? It was really mainly, your main business was on Instagram.
1: Yeah. It was selling Crystal Colts. It was selling Kush Queen merch. It was selling posts, uh, marketing services for cannabis brands. I was really doing all of the full service media agency sort of. How did
0: you build it? Just so before we get to the next step here, how did you build it on Instagram? How did you get 3 million followers on Instagram? Like what was your secret, do you think?
1: I was a real content creator, making memes, making the content. And also it's really my lifestyle. I really went to seshes. I really smoke weed all the time, every day. I really am a connoisseur. And more than that, I'm a pretty opinionated kind of gal. And I speak my mind. And especially with Snapchat, especially with some of these apps that you really just turn the camera on and you just talk. I was really able to build a large group of people who just really rode with me and really resonated with the things that I was saying. And I think being a content creator at that time, making cannabis content every single day, I mean, some of our content is still everywhere. No one would know, you know, it's memes. but we were, it was also very early and it wasn't so noisy. And then I just walked around the cannabis industry, going to events, going to conferences, you know, MJ BizCon. I, one of my biggest clients back in the day at one point was a really large chocolate brand. And I met the owner by literally sitting down next to him at MJ BizCon. He was sitting behind me. I was loudly talking and he's all like, who are you? And I'm like, who are you? You know? And I just, I had the audacity to believe that I was special and that I could bring something of real service and quality to this industry. And I could really connect some of these brands with these communities that I'm actually a part of being a millennial. You know, I've been one of the youngest people in some basis for some time. And especially the cannabis industry then, they did not understand content. They did not understand the internet. And I really just had this amazing skill. And then having my fiance who was a cultivator, who did have the ability to get into some of these rooms or some of these major companies like connected that I worked for, like Northern Emeralds, you know, who really had like real fire product. It sort of all converged. So
0: one day you wake up and this Instagram thing you built they just had they warned you a few times and then what was it that was the final nail in the coffin for inst for that instagram business
1: Paying people at Instagram. It develops over time. You don't just wake up and get extorted by employees at Instagram. You, from 2013 on, from the crystal cold days, my content was being removed. It is a very well known thing that they remove content that if you receive enough violations over time on any of these platforms, on YouTube, you get three strikes. On TikTok, we're still trying to figure out how many you get. But Instagram is very clear. And this is also around the time Instagram for business was happening. They were really taking the platform to that next level and they cleaned it up. It didn't just happen to me. It happened to a lot of people, people with obscure fringe type accounts, but it is a very well-known thing that Instagram employees have been known to extort people for verification, for services outside of the scope. And it's a, now you see like Mashable and people covering it. But back then everyone just thought I was like, I don't know, crazy, but best thing. that ever to
0: me. Yeah. Because, you know, I think one of the lessons that you, you learned is that when you build your business on somebody else's platform, you know, you're always at the mercy of that platform and especially a platform that is not that pro-cannabis, or at least is has got a lot of issues with cannabis in general. So you broke away. You became your own thing.
1: Yeah. I started just taking everything I knew. I started collecting emails. You know, one of the things that fuels Kush Queen is our email list. We have a massive email list and I started fighting to sell CBD online. I mean, back then like I have images of the bath bombs. They were branded Crystal Colts and then we really just reformulated the bath bombs with the knowledge that we had learned really working in cannabis, really learning how to extract, really learning about terpenes and the entourage effect and you know, I just feel like there is this side of the industry that people don't really give a shit about the products. They don't really give a shit about what they're selling. This is a financial play. They're here to merge. They're here to acquire. They're here to grow. They're here to end before they build. And I just never had that experience. And so I just started building my own little piece of heaven. And then in 2017, we were approached by Bella Cures, a nail salon chain in Southern California to do the canicure, which was a viral sensation. It was supposed to be 300 services just for media, and it's still one of the best-selling services to this day. We've had it was just like a collaboration that just became a long-term partnership. And in 2019, Allison Olivia approached us and wanted us to Make products for their brand. I went to New York Fashion Week. That was just another moment that I'm like, what the heck? We are mainstream. We're. And it's just really been a a wild journey of a labor of love for the products, the people that use them, and then getting to have this very unique experience that is just not common in our space where I really came up in this industry. I really feel that I am going to be one of those people who's like an export, just like we have like NFL players who become celebrities and we have people, you know, I've really been able to just like, inhabit this very unique space and write my own ticket. I really truly have never even raised traditional money, even though I'm gonna, and I'm going to blow everyone's you know socks off when I'm ready, but I'm just building a really just healthy yourself. business. Yeah. And I'm really just like a true entrepreneur in the sense I did not want the task of selling my product to people. I wanted to build something that People were just attracted to something that people would share as well. Like in the products, you know, we have insane word of mouth and we have an insane customer return rate. And it's just because of the way I've approached it. And it's just, it's the road less taken, I think, right now where we are in the industry as a whole.
0: Now, bath bombs, you sort of revolutionized bath bombs. I mean, a lot of people are doing them now. But you were really one of the first, maybe even the first—I don't know—to do it on CBD bath bombs, and
1: I was not the first person to make a CBD bath bomb. I won't claim that, but I am the person who made it mainstream and blew it up.
0: How did you come up with that concept? Sorry to copy you, but like the the concept of a bath bomb, because it seems like—
1: Well, I'm a bath taker. Baths are really beneficial scientifically, there's all of these known benefits to bathing with sleep. And and the biggest hurdle to my own wellness was always sleep. If I don't get rest and I can't sleep, I definitely can't even be remotely normal the next day. So that was one of the main drivers in just pursuing a product that was like the antithesis of cannabis. The antithesis of a joint is a bath bomb. And I knew because of where I come from, how stigmatized this plant really is, especially when it comes to what we sell and promote at Cush Queen, which is daily consumption. Daily consumption is a very controversial thing. And I really believe that it's actually daily consumption, a daily feeding of the endocannabinoid system, a daily exposure to the molecules that actually keeps the equilibrium in the body and where cannabis is actually preventative wellness. If you already have cancer, if you already have a bipolar episode, I don't know how much cannabis is really going to be able to help. It's in the prevention, and I knew because of the benefits of bathing and that your skin is your biggest organ that we actually had a really effective delivery method on our hands. And then if we could make a gentle bath bomb that was unlike Lush, you know, this two hundred fifty million dollar a year company that actually sells like the grossest shit full of pigments that stains your tub that is known to like destroy people's pipes and stuff. And it's like you know there is this whole side of bath bombs that's for aesthetics and fun but the reason you take a bath is to relax so like why does a person want to clean their tub
0: yeah that's not a good selling proposition and so yours you made sure that yours didn't do that
1: yeah and our whole thing is to disrupt mainstream industries with cannabis not to sell all the people who already use it. I want Dove's business. I want Lush's business. I want a piece of girl. I don't need people who already use cannabis. I need all of the people who don't use it to replace one product in their routine with some cannabinoids. And that's where I think it can change your life. And so we just also believe in finished goods. Anybody can sell a joint or prepackaged flour. Not everyone can manufacture beautiful finished goods with consistency. And that is our edge.
0: What are finished goods? What to explain what that what you mean by that?
1: I mean a finished good. I mean an actual product. You know, to me, cannabis is a commodity now. You have the raw flour. you could sell it in a, in a package. you could sell it in a joint, but for me, I want it in a finished product. and I that's also where it's harder for people to replicate what you do. I mean, everybody sells a bath bomb now because of Kush Queen. But there was a period where we were like the only CBD bath bomb on the internet. And that that also allowed us to get the consumers to trust us with our other products because they knew how good the bath bomb was. They knew how consistent it was. They knew that it worked for them. And they knew that I would not put my name on anything that wasn't just as good as that bath.
0: And what, what does a bath bomb do? What's the cell of a bath bomb?
1: Well, your skin's your biggest organ. And when you're submerged in a tub of hot water, you basically start absorbing the water as we are predominantly made of water. So it, with the entourage effect, you're absorbing the cannabinoids, the essential oils, and you're actually getting a really great way to dose cannabis and you feel like incredibly relaxed. The consistent use of them, we see people with their anxiety being brought down stress levels. We have a huge population with fibro and endo who use our products. And then we have the whole crowd of athletes who use cannabis for recovery. And when it comes to soreness, you can really get the benefits of a massage with our bath bomb without the price tag. I know people will say, well, you're selling a $20 bath bomb, Olivia. And it's like, yeah, but a massage costs like 80 to 200 and needs more time. And we just have people left and right who say, yeah, I canceled my spa membership and I just use your bath bombs. It's a deeper level of relaxation and cannabis really when you put it on the skin and when you eat it is where it's really medicine. The ingestion of it by vapor and even with smoking is still off limits for some people.
0: Yeah. So this is another way to to go. What are some other products that you feel like you've made that have really innovated? I know you have like the lit kit and you have the weed, the emoji keyboard, the weed emoji.
1: These are some of my older projects, but yeah, I had, a, I had a weed emoji app at one point that was giving people weed emojis. The lit kit was a vibe. We couldn't continue the lit kit because of the compliant market stacking products in metric is not something that was available. So we we don't sell the lit kit anymore. But what happened is, is shortly after the bath bombs really blew up, my fiance was developing a water based technology, a nanotechnology that could actually turn the oil into water. And I was back to struggling with sleep again, mainly because I became a dabber and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was getting off of pharmaceuticals after seven years. And one night he took the nanoparticles and he basically rubbed it on his back because he hurt his back and it worked. And we threw it into a shower gel and then we threw it into a pain lotion. And then we started doing all of these tests on it. And we realized that the particle size was actually smaller than your pore. So what we had on our hands was a transdermal topical. Our lube, it'll get you high. Our makeup, it'll get you high if you are using the THC version because it's transdermal. And then we had this powerful technology in a topical space, which sure is a small part of the market, but is notoriously known for being snake oil, is notoriously known for being you know salves and just kind of like basic caveman cannabis tech. And we came to market with all of these nano products that people just have fallen in love with. And that just completely gave us this whole other cult following. Like the Melt Pain Lotion has just this wild following. The same with the lube. The lube is a a whole nother...
0: I got it. Well, I'm curious about the lube. It can get you (laughs) high.
1: Yeah. So basically, you have a nanoparticle. It absorbs within 30 seconds, fully transdermal into the bloodstream. And we recognize very early on that the shower gel, that the lube, and that our cosmetics all have the ability to get you high. It is not the same high as puffing a joint, it's like a high of like a three milligram microdose edible, is how I um, describe it. And you really do have to set the consumers up for the right experience. You have to say, this doesn't work the same, but it's a really, it's a really great technology and the the industry. And I think the consumers were ready for it. And it's not for everyone, but transdermal. Is more effective. Even CBD transdermal is increasing the bioavailability with the nanoparticle, and so we also just see a lot of people who traditionally have tried a lot of CBD products. They say this doesn't work for me, and we say, yeah, hey, the
0: tinctures it, are not. Yes, yeah.
1: give this one more try. Give it one more. Come on, one more. And we. So
0: you it. say if it does, that tincture doesn't work for you. Smoking it doesn't work for you. Try the transdermal, especially your product that has the nanotechnology, more bioavailability.
1: Yeah. All of our products kind of have that kind of twist. We've all, everything we've released, we've said, what are they doing? Hmm. Is that the best tech? And normally it isn't MCT oil. For instance, most of the tinctures on the market are made with MCT oil, even though there is substantial scientific evidence that shows long chain triglycerides, increase bioavailability and work better with CBD. Why is everyone selling MCT oil tinctures? I don't fucking know, but they are. And we make an LCT tincture, our gummies, you know, plenty of people making CBD gummies, but we decided we wanted to go with minor cannabinoids. We decided we really believe in minors in the hemp market as well. And we have a bunch of minors that we play with CBN, CBG. And that's really just like how we approach the products is just what is everyone doing Is it actually the way to go? Because there's just a lot of looky-loos in cannabis and everybody's just doing what everybody else is doing instead of thinking critically and saying like, is this the best way to make this product? What does the science actually say? Is there any science, especially with cannabis on this type of molecule or what exists? And then we have a bunch of people who work at our company who are just as passionate about cannabis and these molecules as I am. And it really makes for just magic we don't need the same stuff that other companies need because we're relentlessly passionate about the molecules about cannabis and about making products that actually work consistently
0: and that you want to use like I if I had to like dissect what's made you so successful and there's a lot of things you know certainly your passion just for the plant that's obvious and you know a lot of people get into this business that just want like you said just want to make money it's not enough. Like, I mean, yes, maybe some people will get away with that. That
1: is, it's not (laughs) enough. It's not enough. No, it's not not enough. Because if it was enough, all of these companies would be successful and they're not. Look at MedMen. I'm not a MedMen hater. They've had me on their shelf since Prop 64. They've supported a small women-owned business. They have. At the same time, if it was all about money, they would have made it. They also had the goodwill of the media for a while. And it's just like unfortunately money isn't enough when it comes to cannabis it's not and even experience. You know, I used to get so down on myself. Oh my God. Another person from Harvard is in the cannabis industry. Oh my God. I don't speak corporate speak. Oh my God. I've never held a corporate job in my life. How am I going to compete with all these people coming into the industry? And then I watch them all fail because just because you have great experience in CPG, in fashion, in entertainment, it doesn't mean it's going to work for cannabis. And I think that's a really interesting thing from a business perspective. It's a great
0: equalizer. You have to have a real interest in cannabis, a passion. And it seems like a lot of the products that you started are ones that you wanted to use, like that were, you were solving the problem. Like you wanted to take a bath with a bath bomb that didn't stain your bathtub and made you feel relaxed. And so you created that bath bomb. You wanted to have crystals on your vape pen. (laughs) So you created that It seems like it's like, that's kind of like you're, the way you create stuff is thinking like, what would I want as the Kush queen that I don't see? I
1: always get like nervous when people are like, she's a pioneer. She's a this, she's a that. I'm like, I'm really just like a selfish girl who like this stuff didn't exist for me. I didn't see myself in the culture. I didn't see products that were working for me and I just made it myself and it works. And and I, I think that also gives to CEOs in cannabis who don't use cannabis. How? How does that work? And let me tell you, it is common and I've opened my big mouth before and I've really offended some huge, powerful people in this industry because I stand on that soapbox of how can you sell this product and not use it ever? And how can you advertise yourself as a person, as the non-cannabis, cannabis CEO, not to brag people, but it's just like, what are you thinking? I don't know. That's just my experience.
0: You're right. Also, you know, we haven't mentioned you're a woman, a successful woman in this industry. What is your feeling about cannabis as compared to other industries and how women, their achievements? Do you feel like cannabis is ahead of the world or you think like we, it's sort of the same like sexism and what's your take just being on the front lines of cannabis and the women in the industry?
1: It's really tough because we had Women Grow come out with these numbers a few years back and they were talking about cannabis is going to be the first industry run by women, there's like 30% of CEOs or women. And like recently the numbers say it's like eight percent. And then I would look around the industry and it just sure there are women who inspired me to when I saw Corey Lou Thomas from Honeypot Bear winning a cannabis cup. And I was just a kid out in the audience with a camera, I thought, oh my God, that is this is my moment. This is my moment where I see myself, you know. And you've always had like Dr. Dina and some of these women, Kiva, um Christy from Kiva, they're here, we're doing it, but are women running cannabis? No. Do Are we fairly represented? Absolutely not. Is it still a older white man's game? Yeah. And just their ability to raise capital is just where I see it the most. But I do think that, like you said, cannabis is this great equalizer. And I think that my hope for the industry, what I work for in this industry and what I support is an industry just as diverse as the group of people who use cannabis. And when the industry represents the population of users, the industry will flourish. I think the industry is failing right now because it is only selling to a small group of people. And yes, I said it's failing. I think it's failing.
0: What do you mean? How do you, How is it failing? It seems like you're...
1: I mean, in California, at least, you know, the, the compliant market is not well. It's not what you call well, or we're making money. People are making money, but not as much as they should be. The illicit market continues to be eight, 10 times bigger than the legal market. And then the consolidation, you know, maybe that's good for some people, but I don't think it's good for everybody. And I don't think it's good for building an equitable industry that most of these people's business plan is just to acquire and suck everybody up. It's just, sure, it's a way to go. It's a way that industries work, but it's just not what I think is going to make our industry strong and successful and for us to be able to barrel towards Washington and get federal legalization and then take on the world. Because that is also one thing we're competing with is, do we want Canada to own the U.S. cannabis industry? Because as it stands and as it continues to stand, they own it.
0: You think so? I
1: I firmly believe that there's so that Canada has such a leg up and has had a leg up because of their banking, because of the way that the industry was set up and the fact that they went federal long before us. And I think that so much of the money that's holding at least the California industry together is Canadian money. And I think that people would be very surprised how many of the Canadian companies own a lot of the hemp space and continue to own a lot of the cannabis industry in California naturally by way of subsidiaries and lots of different rules. But these people are incredibly sophisticated. And more than that, they are the establishment, they are the financial industry, and they have something that not ab- that average people don't have. And it, it is sort of this question of, for me, a moral question and an ethical question, especially knowing the history of the war on drugs, especially knowing the lack of opportunity for millennials, and especially knowing that these people just want to make money. And that's okay. Like capitalism is capitalism. It's just, I just think cannabis is different because it changes your consciousness because it is an indigenous plant because we have put millions of people in cages for so many years. It's just not a commodity like everything else, even though it kind of is at the same time.
0: Well, you have such great opinions on things. I could talk to you for hours. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> you're, you're fascinating. Olivia, thank you so much. If people want to find out more about Kush Queen, your products, I mean, there's so many, you have to be in a cave to not know about Kush Queen, but what should they do?
1: We can go to kushqueen.shop. Cushqueen.shop is where all of our hemp products live. And then we're in California compliant dispensaries statewide. And then we're obviously on social media, Shop. I'm the Liv Alexander on Insta and TikTok. And I'm always, my DMs are always open. I like to
0: say. (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. Well, it's wonderful to meet you and good luck with with everything. And keep being the queen. You're a good queen. Good royalty for us to have.
1: Thank you for the time. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Olivia. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com. Check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, Check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W R I T E, to get some in depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.